This week on the Back Table Podcast. I tell you what, I wish I had this podcast going into my oral boards because this was the very first question I had. My examiner threw up there was an <laughs> adrenal vein sampling. So, uh, you know, even who, if you're who not did doing that about- to you, adrenal vein sampling. Oh, my goodness. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Back Table Podcast. Back Table is your resource to connect with your IR colleagues and learn tips, techniques, and the ins and outs of the devices in your cabinets. This is Aaron Fritz filling in as your host this week. I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Mike Devane to walk us through the adrenal vein sampling procedure. Welcome back, Mike. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. So for those listeners who didn't catch your prior renal ablation podcast, can you briefly tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're located? I'm in practice in Greenville, South Carolina. We have four IRs in our practice currently. Uh, We do a broad scope of intervention, including uh, interventional oncology. And adrenal vein sampling just happens to be one of the procedures that we're asked to do from time to time. Um, I've been in practice now for 14 years. Pleased to have you here for this podcast. It's re- this podcast is meant to give the listener, our, our, our listeners, a nice overall blueprint of how to approach this procedure, kind of what equipment's involved, and any uh, pitfalls they should avoid. Um, so, before we get into the nitty gritty of the procedure itself, can you tell us a bit about who's your typical referring doc for adrenal vein sampling, and what are they looking for in requesting this procedure? We have uh, three referring. Three referring type physicians. Uh, primarily, we have an endocrine surgeon in town, and he's he has been sending us uh, cases now for for several years. He's very good. We have a handful of endocrinologists, and recently the reproductive endocrinologists have been asking us to do adrenal vein with ovarian vein sampling. From the endocrinologist and the endocrine surgeon, this is primarily Kahn syndrome, hyperaldosteronism, and those patients have hypertension and hypokalemia, and they have an adrenal adenoma on CT, which, you know, how many people do? That's that's several, right. what, 10 to 15%. So those are the typical patients that are sent from those referring physicians. The ones from the reproductive endocrinologist, what they're looking for is these patients have hirsutism. So they're looking for testosterone levels in both adrenal glands and the ovarian veins. Oh, okay. Are you seeing much for um, Cushing syndrome or hypercortisolism? No, no. I, I think the last time I had a case of that was probably three or four years ago. And to be honest with you, uh, if they send me another one, I probably have to relook at that protocol because I'm so used to doing one of two variations of adrenal vein sampling. When you have these patients come over, um, can you just walk us through sort of your setup, what equipment you choose? Um, and I guess, you know, I, I think you had said previously you have a variety of different catheters that you kind of choose from. Yeah. Um, the, the first and foremost thing that I use is a preoperative CT. I, I can't say enough how helpful that is because looking for the right adrenal vein, which is always the more difficult one, uh, oftentimes you can actually see the level where that adrenal vein is going to come off at CT. So if you know that it's going to be around the T12 level, T12 pedicle, then you've got a good area to home in on. So I usually examine the preoperative CT at length and I get one on everybody. Um, and so that's kind of in prior to them arriving. But when, when they arrive, the first thing we do 
is once we establish IV access, we start a Cortison drip for the ones that have Con syndrome. So we do 0.25 milligram in 500 ml normal saline of Cortison. We infuse that at 100 ml per hour at least 30 minutes prior to the procedure, and we want the patient laying down at least an hour prior to the procedure. There's some data that states that patients that have been standing up immediately prior to the procedure, it can alter the results. And then on my table, usually I have a magnifying work lamp, just kind of like one you would buy at Lowe's. And so that way I can punch holes in the catheters. And I take an array of catheters and use a cook hole punch kit. Unfortunately, that kit has been discontinued. And through the years, several pieces of our kit have kind of disappeared. I'm assuming that they got thrown away when, when the sharps were disposed. So I've had to kind of revert to using an 18-gauge needle as my primary hole punch. But I still use the Cook kit. It's got the little metal stylets for helping you create the hole. I use an 18-gauge needle, and I use the little metal tin that the Cook hole punch kit comes in, and I use that as the backing for punching the hole into the catheter. And I usually punch a hole around 2 to 3 millimeters from the tip along the superior aspect of the catheter. The catheters that I gravitate towards are, I usually get out a C2. Uh, all these are five French catheters, a five French C2, uh, an RDC, a Simmons 1, a Simmons 2, a Mickelson. And I've started using, probably in the last year or two, the uh, Cook CHB that I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it, Chowang B catheter. And I found that sometimes that can be helpful if you can't get in with the other catheters. So prior to the prior to starting the procedure, I like to have all my holes punched in the catheters and have all that ready. So that way any of the needles that I'm using aren't contaminated with blood. And you know, if you're punching a hole in a catheter, you certainly don't want to stick yourself. That decreases your risk. So all those catheters are ready by the time we put the patient on the table and ready, ready to sedate. Okay, great. Hey, just real quick, going back to that CT, uh, preoperative CT, do you um, do a CT venogram protocol or is it just a regular protocol? Well, most of our patients are getting the washout protocol. So that's uh-huh. going to include the pre and the post. So generally it's in a, uh, it's in the venous phase and a, in a delayed venous phase. I think that's out to like 60 seconds or 90 seconds. I can't remember. And then gotcha. the, so in terms of uh, access. Are you doing unilateral access or bilateral access? I do unilateral access. I, I don't do the simultaneously simultaneous sampling. I did that when I first came out into practice, and that's kind of how I learned how to do it. That is so much more difficult. So I think if you use the Cortrison stimulation, you can avoid having to do the simultaneous. You can go directly to to, to starting your samples. So that's how I do it for con syndrome. And it's worked pretty well over the years and certainly is a technically a lot easier. I found that when you're doing, when you're doing the simultaneous access, it's so hard to keep the catheter in place in the right and the left at the same time. Right. And you're trying to get the catheter back in the right then the catheter over the left flips out and it just becomes, it just becomes so difficult. I just don't like doing it that way. So yeah, I do simultaneous and- access. Now, if I'm doing 
Gonadal vein sampling, I typically will do jugular access for the gonadal veins, and I'll also prep off the groins for the adrenal. So I'll prep off the right right femoral for the adrenal. Okay, yeah, that was my next question is, have, have you ever done a, an adrenal vein sampling from a jugular approach for anybody who may, you know, may have chronic claw, you know, DVT or something like that, if you ever had to do that? You know, I've considered doing it since I'm already doing the jugular access first because I do the ovarian veins first. And, you know, to be honest with you, that that left, it's so easy to get into the left through the groin yeah. that uh, that I just haven't I haven't tried it that way. And I can't imagine what catheters you would use for the right also because the right can be very tough. Right. And right. Once you've right. kind of gotten your protocol down for getting to the right adrenal vein from the from the femoral, I'm always afraid to I'm always afraid to switch and and mess that up. You know, basically confirming that you're in place, do you do a a, a slight little, you know, gentle uh injection or do you just uh, very, very gentle puff of contrast, and I don't do any type of DSA run. Uh, I just do fluoro image save, and I, I just a gentle puff of contrast because one of the risks of this is if you infarct the adrenal gland, you can certainly cause some issues. You're going to cause adrenal hemorrhage, and then it hurts the patient also. They'll actually feel it on the table, and that vein can go into spasm, and then it's hard to sample blood from it. So I use very, very gentle puff of contrast. And then I also, when I'm doing my aspiration, I make sure that the first few drops of blood contain that contrast and I get rid of that so there's no dilutional effect. So I usually waste the first half an ml of blood before I, before I make my sample. Walk us through the sampling part of it. All right. So my first sample is I go ahead and I get the one from the femoral and I label that as peripheral and hand that to the nursing staff so they can get it processed. And I usually go to the right adrenal vein, preoperative CT, kind of telling me exactly where to go. And I usually start off with the C2. And I try and get a sample with the C2. And if I can't get a sample with the C2, I try and get a sample with the RDC. Typically, I can get a sample with one of those two catheters, typically, or at least I feel fairly comfortable. Once I feel that I'm fairly comfortable that I've gotten a right adrenal sampling, then I usually go over the bifurcation with that catheter, switch out for a Simmons 2, and get my left side. And the left side's usually pretty easy with a Sim 2. I think I've had a couple three cases through the years I've actually had to switch out for a Simmons 3 to get into the left just because of the angle. But generally speaking, the Simmons 2 will get you where you need to go. So then once I've sampled peripheral, right, and then left, I go back to my right just to make sure that I absolutely am confident that I have a sample. And I will try with the Simmons 1 and the Mickelson and then the CHB catheter just to make sure that I've absolutely got into the right. And I send several samples of the right just in case because, you know, sometimes if you don't see that inferior emissary vein you know, all you see is the parenchymal stain of the adrenal where you're absolutely in the adrenal vein or where you're in a little branch of the hepatic. So, right. so typically I send several samples. And unfortunately, we don't have the rapid assay where I practice. So I'm not, uh, I'm not blessed with being able to know whether you got an adequate sample. Usually I don't know until later that afternoon when the cortisol levels start to come back. Uh, yeah, that was my next question. If you if you wait with the patient on the table for the for the results to come back, or I guess it sounds like you you basically just get as much 
as many samples as you can, and uh, you got to have to w- w- hope that uh, you got what you needed, right? Yeah, that that's 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 how I do it because I've noticed from the lab that once we sent the blood to the lab and they get a cortisol level, usually the peripherals come back fairly quickly because those are low levels, and yeah. the right and left adrenal veins they have to do several dilutions. So that's that usually takes them four to five hours of dilution right. in our lab to get a result back. So far too long for the patient to be on the table. So we just do all the samples and send them off and hope that we got the result. And I wish we had the rapid assay. That would be really nice. Yeah. And then, so are you interpreting the results and including them in your dictation? Um, no, how- typically not. Typically what I do is because the cortisol levels I'll get back later that afternoon or later that evening, sometimes into the night, uh, once they finish the dilutions, the aldosterone levels don't come back until the next week. Those are a send out lab for us. So mm-hmm. usually that takes a week. So generally what I do is I dictate something into our electronic medical record. We have Epic and I'll dictate a follow-up note saying that these were, these were what I saw. And then I also look at the endocrinologist note to see if they agree with how I interpreted the samples as well. Gotcha. Uh, is that, do you usually do like a follow-up uh, phone call with them or I guess only if, if there's an issue maybe? Uh, generally only if there's an, only if there's an issue. Um, we, we have a pretty good working relationship and most of the adrenal veins that are positive where they're going to, where they localize to a side, they're going to go to the endocrine surgeon. And usually we discuss those cases or he sends me electronic medical uh, flag saying, yeah, that left adrenal was positive for an adenoma and I'm going to take them to adrenalectomy. So we kind of, we have some follow-up from that. And that was one of the things that our adrenal surgeon from the very beginning, when I first started doing them here in this practice, he said, look, I'm going to be sending you patients and I'll give you feedback. And that way you can, you can use that feedback to make sure that, you know, that you're, that you're getting good samples and that you're, that we're happy with the results. So that's, that's, that's been very, that's been very nice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it went, that just, uh, I just thought of one pitfall that I came across in working some of these smaller little community hospitals is you might get a request for an adrenal vein sampling, but it's really important to check with your lab to make sure that they have the resources to process it. And, um, you know, collection and everything and make sure that they're prepared because if you catch them off guard, I mean, it could be a total waste and you obviously don't want to waste Mm -hmm. the patient's time um, and put them through an unnecessary procedure. Any, any other pitfalls that you could think of? Uh, You know, well, early on when it was probably our first or second case that we did here, we actually had a lab mishap and we actually had to bring the patient back and resample because I forget exactly what happened in the lab, but they weren't quite prepared. So that you made a very good point about making sure that the lab is prepared. Our lab here is wonderful. It's run by the pathologist. And at the very beginning, I sat down with the pathologist after this incident and we went through the procedure and how quickly they need their blood samples from the time we obtained them and how they were going to receive them and how they want them labeled. And that's really that's really crucial because since then, for the last ten, eight or ten years that we've been doing it, we've 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 had really good success from the lab, and they've done a they've done a fantastic job. So that that is one of the pitfalls. You definitely want to make sure that your lab is prepared, uh, right, to receive those samples. I I think that this is a procedure that 
anybody can do in their lab. This is what I like about it. You don't have to have a fancy laser. You don't have to have fancy equipment or anything to do this. This is something that anybody going out into private practice or any academic practice for that matter, you can do this. Anybody can do adrenal vein sampling. It's not a sexy procedure. It's not exciting. But I think it's important. And it's important to the patients. And these are patients that you potentially cure of very severe hypertension. It's a tedious procedure. It's not what I would call a fun procedure. It's not like doing an embolization or a filter retrieval or form body retrieval. It's not, you know, it's not sexy and fun. But I think it's one of those procedures that anybody in practice can do. You can get good at it and you can provide this service to the community. And I think it's very helpful. But like our endocrine surgeon, he had been here for a while before I got here. And none of my partners previously had done adrenal vein sampling. And he was used to sending his patients out. And he approached me one time when I when we first started doing this. And he says, do you do adrenal vein sampling? Because I just sent a patient to Mayo Clinic in Rochester to get their adrenal vein sample. And I said, we, yeah, I did some in fellowship. I I, you know, I think that's a service we can provide here. So it's been satisfying to know that those patients don't have to go traveling. They can stay in our community and they can go to our hospital here locally and not have to not have to get the procedure done elsewhere. And I think that's 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 also very nice. Yeah, that's a great point to just be able to provide that service to our referring docs. Um, and as you, you know, as you mentioned, it's not, it's not a terribly sexy procedure, but very important to be able to provide that. Um, assuming everything goes smoothly, how long does this procedure take for you? Uh, usually it's around an hour, uh, procedure time for me. And I usually observe the patients a couple hours after the procedure, uh, make sure that, you know, with the cortisone and everything, that their their blood pressure is not uh, too terribly out of control. Make sure that they're feeling okay. Um, I usually watch them for a couple hours and then let them go home. So they're usually, I, I tell the patients, they're usually going to be here around about an hour for prep, an hour for the procedure, and two hours for post, or around four hours for the procedure overall. And any other complications to look out for, uh, af- you know, after the procedure? Um, I haven't really noticed too many, uh, too many complications. It's a venous puncture, and generally that's pretty safe. Um, I have noticed that sometimes their hypertension gets a little bit, uh, uh, gets a little bit out of control from the cortisone, and it is usually as soon as I'm done, as as soon as I'm done sampling, um, I'll go ahead and turn off the cortisone drip. And I haven't really seen too terribly many complications from it. Now, you know, occasionally you'll get that patient that has a little bit of flank pain just for that moment that you're sampling blood from the adrenal vein. They can Mm -hmm. kind of feel that. But other than that, that's usually very short-lived, and I haven't really had anybody complain of pain after the procedure. From the aspiration, you're actually... Yeah, from the aspiration. I I think as soon as that catheter goes in, you start aspirating blood, they can kind of feel the pressure on the adrenal vein. Right. And sometimes that's a good indication. You know you're you're in the right place versus the the right hepatic vein. That's the crux of the matter is getting into the right adrenal vein and differentiating that from the from the small branches of the hepatic vein from the liver. That's 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 the crux to the matter. And that just takes time to to learn that pattern and look for the 
uh, emissary vein if they have one. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes all you see is the little parenchymal stain. And unfortunately, that delta stain in the in the uh, herringbone pattern of the liver and the right adrenal vein can look very similar if you don't have a, if you don't have an emissary vein, so they can look very, very similar. So that's usually when I mag up on fluoro and I give a, a puff of contrast and just make sure that I'm not seeing anything drain eventually back into a hepatic vein. Yeah. Well, uh, very informative. And, um, I tell you what, I wish I had this podcast going into my oral boards because this was the very first question I had. My examiner threw up there was an <laughs> adrenal vein sampling. So, uh, you know, who, even if you're who not did doing that out- to you, adrenal vein sampling. Oh my goodness, that, uh, yeah. that's not a very common procedure out in out in practice. Uh, that's really a well, shocker. It's funny because I was studying for it and I was talking to a, a buddy of mine who was also studying for it, and I said, "What do you think about adrenal vein sampling?" There's no way they're going to ask me about that, right? And he was like, nah, no, nah, don't, you don't need to worry about that. And then, of course, that was my first one. Uh, Chuck Ray <laughs> laid that one on me. But, uh, you know, I, because I read about it, and I, I had done them in, in fellowship. I luckily, you know, uh, did pretty well on it. But, yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when, they, when he brought it up. Now, when so, you were in fellowship, did you do simultaneous sampling or did you do the sequential sampling like I do? Sequential, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the I, simultaneous. I I did the first two or three that way in practice, and and that's how we did it in fellowship. And oh, that's so painful. I I would not recommend that to anybody. Really, that about wraps it up. Um, I want to thank Mike Devane for coming on and talking us through adrenal vein sampling. I want to remind our listeners to download our our new procedure based app on the App Store, where they can find how to videos, articles, and podcasts all in one source. Adrenal vein sampling being um, a good example. Uh, follow us on Twitter at underscore backtable. And thanks again for listening and see you guys on the next one. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate it.